the Amish really haven't been doing the same kind of farming all along. They're not anti-science. And I think that's one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand is they're not anti-science. They actually are very pro-science. They love learning. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. On Farm to Table Talk has conversations kind of on the road, if you will, people that are on journeys and talking about various people that are on journeys. In some cases, their literal journeys can include horse and carriages yet, as is true about the uh, Amish community. We're going to talk about some of the production and farming practices and, and marketing opportunities with, with the Amish community, but, uh, but it extends in, in lots of different ways, and individuals can find their own journeys overlap with these journeys that uh, of the broader area, new directions, and which are sometimes old directions. And I'm happy to welcome Adam Rick. Uh, Adam, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Well, thanks for having me. This is uh, exciting to be here having a conversation with you. We've had several conversations before on the Clubhouse app, and it's great to be on your podcast uh, talking about some of the cool things that I'm doing and that the people I work with are doing also. Yeah, you know, it, it's true. We have gotten acquainted on Clubhouse, and some people have heard me mention Clubhouse before. And we go into some rooms. You've been into rooms I've hosted and some other rooms on Clubhouse where we end up having some of our friends are from uh, British Columbia and Australia and Argentina and every state in the country. Uh, some from Africa drop in. We've had some from Sweden talking about agriculture. And the more we talk about agriculture around the world, the more we find there is to discover right under our own noses uh, and in our local areas. And uh, while I'm all for getting out and around and figuring out what's around the world, it's nice to learn more about what's happening right in your home territory. And you find yourself in a, in a very kind of interesting perspective. Yeah. Halfway between Madison and Milwaukee. Okay. And how far to the Illinois line from there? Well, I'm probably about uh, about an hour from uh, the Beloit uh, line there mm -hmm. near Rockford. So in, in that part of the, the world, you've got a, uh, a very large metropolitan area, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, you have um, a lot of farm ground in between there and Madison. You got Madison, which is a, a good agricultural school out of Madison, also very liberal considering area. Uh, but you also have other interesting communities uh, in between. And you find yourself in, in an area and raising some animals yourself that also has an, an Amish community. What's the history of the Amish in your community? Well, uh, so these are old order Amish. Uh, they are, they've started the community back in the late seventies, early eighties up near an, uh, a town called Watoma. And they came from, most of them came from Ohio. Some came from Pennsylvania, uh, and they moved up here because they were having a lack of farmland. 
and they thought this would be a good area to start a, a new community and to keep on growing. So they just, uh, they, most of them, when they first got here, most of them were dairy. Uh, we're mostly in the dairy, Wisconsin, so dairy states, and they uh, got into the organic dairies, which is also very big in Wisconsin also. So they work a lot with the organic valley. So when you said the 70s and 80s, you were talking about the 1970s and 1980s. No, yep, 1970s, 1980s. Okay, because I mean, potentially they're Amish uh, for, for years. But that's an interesting perspective right there is that uh, relocating. And, you know, it's tough enough for people these days to pick, uh, find another place to have an individual farm. As you know, we have conversations all the time with people looking all over the country to get started farming. Wow. But to move a community uh, and get a community into an area, uh, a community that has kind of a special approach like the, the Amish community has, that's, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. And they have that community formed a cooperative, I believe, to, um, to market their products, right? And, that's, and we're going to talk a little bit about your role in becoming acquainted with them and, and assisting with that product. So how did they, how did they come to, to organize themselves to be able to market the products that they grow on their farms? Well, uh, there's been a growing issue with uh, Amish uh, and the elders in the Amish community keep telling the young, young guys, you're not going to be able to farm like us. Uh, when they first started farming, uh, they were able to make a decent living, maybe not as much as an, an English farm, but they were able to make a decent living off of farming pretty much a standard way that you would with a tractor, but they don't have tractors. So they have to think outside the box. They have to think of ways outside the box to make it so that they can still be profitable. And they started learning more about this regenerative farming or, or, or beyond organic farming. And it turned out that they're like, hey, you don't need a tractor to do this. You, we can do this. And they decided that they needed to start working on this. Uh, they got a lot of their information, a lot of their ideas from someone that already did it, uh, a man named Shorty, Amish man down in central Indiana. And he was already doing it, working with another, uh, another farm, doing something very similar to what I'm doing. And they were able to grow, they were able to grow their herd. I think they have a herd of like 1,500 cattle, uh, 1,500 head right now. And they kept growing and doing more and doing more. And when my friend Edward learned about that, it got him interested. Like, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. That's really helped their community there in central Indiana. I bet you this could really help my community here in southeastern Wisconsin. So they started working on uh, figuring out how to build this co-op, got guys in involved. All the guys, and most of the guys in the co-op are very young, um, under 40 years old, and doing a lot of really cool things. And they just kept uh, growing and then eventually drug me into it. You know, that's a contrast right there, because when people think of Amish, they many people know of, uh, I guess, you know, beards and carriages and horses and, and so forth. 
but they think of it as being a very old order, a very old tradition. And, and, and yet, like you're pointing out that a lot of the farmers are young compared to uh, the average age in, in the States now, somewhere in the 60s. And many areas, like you were talking about, where the Amish are farming down in central Indiana, the um, other farmers are often in late 60s or 70s yet and farming. And they are requiring more and more land to kind of keep their family in business. And they're buying corn planters that are 55 feet wide and tractors that are costing over a half million dollars and combines over a million dollars. And, uh, you know, it's just daunting. I mean, somebody that decides they want to have something to do with agriculture would look at that model. It's It's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, that in fact, you've got such an old, an old tradition in a lot of ways, it's accessible for the younger members of the community. It's one thing when you work as community. So everyone in the community are working together for the most part. Every community, every Amish community is going to be different, but they work really well together. They try to work for the community, but for themselves as individuals at the same time, something that we used to do. Um, I think even as uh, as late as the 70s and 80s, but I think we've lost that. We've lost that in the in the English realm that we don't really necessarily do that like they do. Um, and I think certain groups are starting to get that. I think uh, that's one of the cool things about the agriculture groups that we have on Clubhouse. We are starting to work trying to find ways we can work together. Um, but yeah, the, the absolute communities, everyone is, is cutthroat in the farming industry today. And it, if you can work together, uh, you can still be profitable. So with these farms, when you say they work together, I get that because I still remember when we used to uh, collectively help people each other out on our farms on harvest or even, you know, certainly putting hay up and, you know, you, you go bail in one place and they, and, you know, and, and the families uh, would work with each other. Then I could be on a hay rack or in the mow and, and so forth. So I understand that part of it, but what about the, what about the ownership as a title of say the cattle, for example, the cattle that they're going to be processing and putting into the, into this co-op. Are they owned individually or do they have any kind of grazing collectively on pastures? How does, how does that work? No, everything is pretty much owned individually. Um, each farmer has their responsibility to find how they can produce it. So just like any other group, they're producers, uh, any, like any other co-op. But uh, the, they still they go, hey, you know, I need to make so-and-so amount of money, X amount. I can give you X amount to have my cattle over here. Uh, they farm very similar as just in a more localized area as, say, any of the English do. Yeah. Adam, have you read uh, Wendell Berry? I love Wendell Berry. He's a, he, the guy's <laughs> great, just a great, uh, great perspectives. I love Wendell Berry too, and almost uh, probably most of the people listening to this podcast have, have kind of fond of uh, the wisdom of Wendell Berry. But one thing I remember several different times in his readings is that he's so complimentary of the Amish community, and and when he has found fault with 
uh, industrial agriculture, what you, you know, what might be factory farming, some people would call it, but um, he's critical, even though he's sympathetic to the things that modern day farmers are going through, he'll point out that the, the people he knows that are Amish farmers, he finds much to admire about their production practices. And I know the first couple times that I read Wendell Berry saying things like that, I thought, well, that's fine, but not everybody can be Amish. I mean, you, you know, it's not realistic necessarily to turn the turn the clock back, and 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 I shouldn't even say it that way, but it um, that it's that was the one fault I used to think about when I'd see some of those early writings of Wendell Berry. But then now, um, Adam, we're talking to more and more people that are trying to get started, and they're looking at. Uh, different ways of being of getting into farming, smaller scale, uh, using grazing practices, and, and many things that are possibly more in that direction of of the kind of farming systems that uh, I assume Amish have been using for years. Yeah, they these well, the Amish really haven't been doing the same kind of farming all along they they they're not anti-science and i think that's one of the things i think a lot of people don't understand is they're not anti-science they actually are very pro-science they love learning something that i think that a lot of people in this world uh, could really benefit from they so they uh we mob graze we so we we move them a couple times a day all of our beef a couple times a day but we uh, we're very similar, I would say, to that of Joel Salatin, of what Joel Salatin preaches, and uh, the people like him on how they farm. And they're always looking at how they can do without. But yeah, they do farm. We find ways to farm that can still be productive without using as many fossil fuels they still use fossil fuels, but not nearly as many. And, you know, they're able to find different ways around uh, what their culture uh, holds them back on. What do they use the fossil fuels for? So one of the things they do is they have, they have freezers that uh, they'll have like big uh, reefer uh, trailer freezers. They take the wheels off, they put them on the ground. And so they're just on skids and they run on diesel. Uh, so they have those freezers. Then they also have uh, generators uh, for certain applications only for work. And they also have uh, diesel powered air compressors. A lot of the things that they run are either on air or on belt drive. So they do a lot of, uh, they have full machine shops. That they that they build and they that they run that have are either air powered or belt powered or a combination between the two of them. And then, but personally, in their in their homes, they don't have electricity and and they're not driving cars. Right, they don't drive any vehicles. At least this order doesn't. Uh, this community doesn't, and this community also doesn't have any electricity in their house. Uh, they. This community does have, and I say this community because every community is going to be different, but they do have uh, certain uh, luxuries. They have a propane, uh, a propane furnace, uh, though they do heat mostly with wood. Uh, they do have a propane stove. 
even though they do cook mostly on wood stoves uh, because it's much cheaper to do it that way. So they can be very frugal. Um, but yeah, they, they have a lot of the uh, same amenities that we have. They have inside plumbing and they have uh, hot water. They actually probably have more hot water than you and I put together. They have a, one family has a 500 gallon hot water tank. And I go, why do you have such a big tank? He goes, it, it was cheaper that way. And they just recycle. It takes longer for, because uh, they have heating coils inside their ovens to heat the water and takes longer to heat the water up. And I think you have mentioned that even the kind of um, the wheels that are on the, the, the carriages, um, some are steel, some are wood, some are, and some might have, have rubber. That's, that's a, a detail I would have never have expected. Yeah, they, the community, uh, this community, because they're old school Amish, they don't use any rubber. So it's all about uh, steel wheels for them. And that's all they, uh, all, pretty much all they really use. Uh, there'll be some rubber wheels here and there. And I, I, I call, I'll call them out on it. And they'll just kind of look at me with a sly looking little look. And they'll go, well, don't tell the bishop, you know, um, and just, just little, little things. As long as you don't push the rules too much, they can get away with a little bit of things like that. So if you end up producing uh, pork, you've got pigs and I suppose sheep and cattle and chickens and perhaps goats, but um, where do they process? How can you, um, and inspect when you're coming up with some of these would have to have some uh, a federal inspection possibly to, to be able to market. How is yeah. How do they overcome that hurdle? Uh, there's something called Amish taxes. And Amish taxis, they dry. Uh, it's based on an English guy like uh, you and I that they know and they say, hey, we'll give you whatever X amount of money to pick me up, take me to wherever, and then take me back. And so there's a lot of, a lot of people are in the area that will we'll do that for them. Um, for uh, some of these guys charge astronomical fees, but... That's not for me to talk about or or say really, I guess. Um, but some of it's just like you got you guys got to be kidding me. But they do have a contract with uh, someone. They own a cattle trailer and will drive the cattle uh, trailer. Uh, it's about two hours, two and a half hours away right now from us. That they do the the butchering there. Uh, it's a USDA inspected facility. They do an incredibly excellent job of, of uh, slaughter uh, and, you know, very high, high end. And that's why we use them. And the fact that we don't have any other places around us that can do it either. But yeah, it's you all USDA and we drop the animals off. Once uh, everyone's back, uh, they or once everything's uh, butchered and processed and ready to go, uh, we have a a, a courier that has a refrigerated truck. They pick it up and they bring it back and we store it in a refrigerated trailer. Well, that brings us to the point, I think, of talking about how you deal with the marketing. Because if you can get to the stage that you can, like they literally move the community, they have the farming operations, they have the 
the the utilization of some technologies that you've described you've got a a good processing plant you've got a frozen product but then you got to market it and somewhere in here i think we need to to plug you back into this adam and how you uh find yourself in this role and what you're doing with them and for them uh, together in creating a way to market these products i was helping a good friend of mine for several years helping him with his farm business uh, and he had a farm store and was doing some regenerative meats. And that's where I learned most of my skill set working with him. Did that for uh, about eight years. And then tragically, he had a UTI, died at 42 years old and left the farm or to his 72-year-old uh, dad. And he had five kids at home and no, but all, the oldest kid was only 13 years old. So I kind of helped out with them, um, getting kind of taking care of all that, getting that all clear, cleaned up. Unfortunately, that went back to conventional agriculture. Um, and there was a big hole in my life then because once you get into it, as I know you understand, it's hard, really hard to walk away from, you know, knowing where your food comes from, being a part of where your food comes from. And so I would raise a bunch of the food myself. Um, I'd raise chickens and I, I got pretty good at it, raised rabbits and stuff. And I became friends with a Amish, uh, uh, gar uh, an Amish vegetable garden and talking with those, those people there. And I, I've been friends with them for several years at this point. And then the, the mother of the Amish family, the Mast family, goes, hey, Adam, you've raised chickens. My son's going to be raising chickens. Can he pick your brain for a little bit? And I go, oh, absolutely. Well, I talked with this young man. He was 20 years old at the time. And him and I quickly became friends. Um, his name is Christy. And uh, so Christy and I became friends. And after I helped Christy a little bit and helped him, showed him how to butcher his own chickens and how to make it a good, uh, strong process and kind of transferring my knowledge over to him, he then goes to me and says, hey, you have to meet the rest of the people in the community or we have this co-op. Would you be interested in working with the co-op? Hesitant at first. I was like, I don't really know, but I'll come meet the guys. And after talking to him, um, I fell in love with their idea and their idea was that they were going to work as a community to grow high quality food. And the knowledge that these individuals came up with is just amazing that they were able to build such a great, uh, so much knowledge. They're just constantly, uh, dog-earing, uh, books and passing books around. And I was so impressed that I'm like, yeah, I, I want to work with people like you. And they wanted me to work with them because I was a guy that understood what they're doing. I have a talent for some sort of sales, some talking to people. And they're like, Adam, we want you to be part of, of, of this because you understand what we're doing. We have a lot of other people that want to be part of it, but we want you to actually be part of it. And when you did then, if you started started working with them, you create, what, a, a website or, um, you know, marketing program or materials or uh, what do you do to uh, help them get their product marketed? 
So they ask me a lot of questions. They get they so whatever information they want, I go and I do the research because I have this cool thing called the internet. They don't have that, and they're really disappointed about that. But I also have uh, my wife is has built websites before, and we ended up building a website. I have my own business, so it's a it's a business called uh, Modern Frontier Farms. And with the Modern Frontier Farms, we're able to, I'm able to do a lot of cool marketing with, uh, uh, about the meats, uh, do a lot of online stuff. I have a wider, uh, way wider reach than they have. They were struggling at first to just because they were, they saturated the immediate area. Everything within 20 miles had their meats pro, uh, right there. But the, I had, uh, they, they saw that I could have this other ability. And so I have this other, basically, basically I'm drop shipping their meats, though I am part, part owner of the beef herd itself. Uh, and I am a member of their co-op, the only uh, non-Amish uh, member of their co-op. But so they, they brought me into, into that far, but I am also not part of their business. And they're not part of my business. It's a mutual relationship, a mutual respect uh, that we're just working well together and we continue to work well together and stronger and stronger every day. Well, I, I imagine it's it's always important to have a good working relationship. But in, in these cases, I'm suspecting that they don't have like lawyers that are trying to bring a whole lot of paperwork. And uh, uh, I, I think that you probably operate on a on a level of trust that's more like a handshake would that be fair to say yeah for most part it's just a handshake it's a there's no paperwork saying or legal binding contracts or anything that they do have a lawyer to protect them uh that specializes in working with amish believe it or not there's 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 english lawyers that specialize in working with amish uh, so they're, they do have a contract with a lawyer just to make sure they don't do anything stupid uh, for legal, whatever reasons, and make sure everything's on the up and up. Um, so uh, make sure that they're doing getting all their inspection stuff done. But yeah, they really don't. Uh, we don't have any legal binding contracts between the two of us. It's just mutual respect. You know, there's a lot to be said for mutual respect, and and I respect Adam your your journey because you have mentioned to me before when we were in clubhouse rooms too that uh, you grew up in the city, and in fact you've offered that it was a rough neighborhood and there was violence from when you were growing up and and you've but your journey between that and ending up here working with the Amish community and. And marketing, uh, I guess, more and more of these uh, livestock products, in particular, meat products that are uh, that we're pay- people are paying attention to these days. But you had an interesting step in the journey because, as you were literally trying to find yourself onto this road, you literally took to the road. And uh, explain that a little bit because you've done a lot of a, a lot of walking. Uh, you've been on a trail that ended up where you are today, but literally on a trail too. I wonder if you could share that uh, of that part of your journey. Absolutely, yeah. So I was a lost young man. My dad didn't know how to be a dad. I've been around agriculture um, 
only at arm's length. You know, it was something I always had a lot of respect for. Uh, kind of growing up, kind of go a little bit back there. My stepdad had a, my mom met my stepdad, and that was a life-changing experience in and of itself. He taught me how to be a man. And I think every young man needs to have a person like that, but you also need to have an environment that's going to be healthy to be around. And we were trying to escape from the the city, uh, from the rough neighborhood. And we'd go to the this an area a couple hours away that my stepdad had a hunting lease that no one would, went to during the summer. So we spent every time we had uh, and chance we got there. And I got to know a lot of the uh, people in the community. And I had a lot of farmers in the community know that we didn't have a lot of money, knew that we we're trying to do the best we could. And they said, hey, yeah, sure. You can go glean my field. I have a bunch of green beans out there. Or you can glean my field. I have a bunch of potatoes. And so we'd just pick out of the fields. And uh, we were able to be sustainable by the generosity of someone else, out of someone else's quote unquote waste. But that always gave me an idea about agriculture. But then I always had a really great respect for the outdoors. And so much so, I went up to the Boundary Waters. I worked two years up in the Boundary Waters area at a lodge. And then at the very end of that, I was a little lost, didn't know which direction to go. And I went on a hike. I start, I hiked the entire Superior hiking trail and I was walking about 40 to 60 miles a day with everything I had uh, on my back um, and everything I needed on my back and beautiful. Uh, it was beautiful. Like the leaves were just gorgeous, but it was raining. I could see Lake Superior sometimes. It was uh, definitely an experience. It was a lifetime of experiences in a little, in about a week and a half. And during that, I, it was a great experience just being totally exhausted, being totally involved into what I was doing. And one goal was to go the 220 miles from one end of the trail up to the, the other end of the trail. And it wasn't easy to do. It, it was difficult, but I did it. And I did it in a way that really proved to myself and uh, brought me like, hey, I can do something. So I came back and I had motivation at that point to do something different in my life. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I always had this idea of meaning in the back of my head after that. And I met my wife and that really helped me uh, find some direction. I then became a, I got into heating and cooling. And uh, well, eventually... It led me down to uh, this uh, trail here, uh, talking with you about this business that I've been building for about the last year and a half, um, uh, trying to bring high quality proteins to people and other, uh, hopefully soon, other products that I can be able to talk about and go, hey, yeah, you know, I also have jellies and jams or grains or ancient grains and, stuff and cool stuff along those lines. Adam, it's a great story, and you've had quite a journey, and, and the journey's still ahead. And as you look ahead, I'm, I'm just curious, what are you the most 
optimistic about? I mean, you've seen a lot. You've been in, involved with things. You're working with um, young Amish farmers that seem to be really committed to, to moving ahead as well. But if you had to pick a few things that make you the most optimistic about the next several years, what are they? I think there's a lot more people in, interested in where the food comes from. And when you do that, whether it's a diet change of, say, veganism, whether you agree with it or not, doesn't really matter. It's, it's you're changing, you're starting to understand where your food comes from. And the way I look at food is it's, and this is might be a little high up and high and mighty, but it's one of the most intimate things you can possibly do because you're putting that in your body. And when you start understanding that you're putting that energy into your body, you, you, you want to know where that comes from. At least I do. And I think people are starting to realize more and more every day, uh, with, especially with food sovereignty and food uh, being short. You know, us as Americans, this is the last couple of years, this is the first time that we've ever even seen a bare uh, grocery shelf that wasn't just being restocked. I mean, we always thought there was more to it and people are starting to understand that. And with energy, energies and everything else that's going on, it's important for us to know where our food comes from and people are doing it. People are taking that responsibility on themselves. And it truly is a responsibility that each one of us has to take upon ourselves. Boy, you said it well. And some people are fortunate enough to know that there's Foods coming from your area of southeastern Wisconsin, and let me ask you: if, if somebody wanted to 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 learn more or find out about the the, the, the Amish cooperative or, the, or your your website, is there some place to direct them that they can get information about what you're doing, or possibly even order some some products from you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are a modernfrontier.com. That's a modernfrontier.com. And you can check us out on our website. Uh, we're always uh, building some new stuff on there. We're updating uh, things on a regular basis. And then we also, I, I'm also active on Instagram as a modern frontier and on TikTok as a modern frontier. Otherwise, you know what? You guys are always welcome to join us on Clubhouse. And Adam Rick on Clubhouse, and I'm usually hanging out in the egg discussion room and farm to table talk. Yeah. Well, we're going to hang out there again before long. I hope we have a few people join us. And I'm, I know people are going to be encouraged by what you're saying. I'm still scratching my head on a couple of things uh, in this course of this conversation, Adam. And one, just the, like the optimism I, you were saying earlier about the young Amish farmers. Of, of looking ahead and how hard it is for us to get people, uh, young people into farming uh, across the country, you know, uh, not, it's, it's uh, a lot to think about, but a lot to be encouraged by. And I appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate you're taking this time to visit with us on farm to table talk. Well, I appreciate you having me on here. It's always great having a conversation with you, Roger. And I, I just enjoy talking to people about how we can do things better. You know, I don't have all the answers, but, and you don't have all the answers, but I think together we can figure out a couple of the answers and make it just a little bit better.
You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.